0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. And that is where we're going to be picking up, uh, right in the beginning of that story. Uh, So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be spending a couple of weeks working through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And as we look through these stories, I want you to pay attention of, of, towards their importance. Uh, when, when we look at the whole of Scripture, uh, they don't take up that much space. Uh, they're, they're only kind of a blip in that larger story. Uh, but they have their importance in, the, in setting up the context and giving the setting for how we understand the rest of of God's story. Just an example to help understand this. Uh, When I was in middle school, I went to go see a a real blockbuster film, a real great one. It was uh, by the name of Twister. Uh, It's a movie about tornadoes. Um, Back then, uh, we had to call the, the theater to figure out what time movies were actually showing. And we got our wires crossed, we couldn't quite figure it out, and we showed up like 10 minutes late. Uh, and it was fine. Like, we, we, it was entertaining enough, but there were little gaps in the story. We didn't really understand why everyone was doing what they were doing. Well, afterwards, we talked to someone that watched the whole thing, and we found out that the beginning was actually very important. Uh, the main character, it starts off with her as a young child where she has this really close encounter with a tornado and loses her father in the process. And this sets it up. The whole rest of the story is about this person and their passion for understanding out how tornadoes work and how they can help prepare other people for these types of things. When we heard that, when we heard that part of the story, we, like it just was an aha moment, we, we figured out why she had made all these different decisions genesis 1 is an important story like that it's just again that little blip in the length of the story but it's essential in how it gives the setting it gives the backdrop for the whole story now i also want you to picture with me say we got to the movie theater and we sat down we knew the people right next to us and we said okay can kind of give us the origin story. Tell us, tell us where we are. What we do not want the person to tell us is to say, okay, so someone wrote a script, and then they, they sent it off to producers, they hired some actors, they, they made a movie, we're watching a movie. Uh, that, that's not the, the answer to the question that we're asking. The question that we want to know is, why are the things happening on the screen? What's motivating the characters here? What story are they a part of? Uh, Sometimes when we read the Bible, we have a similar issue when we come to the text. We ask how questions, where we should be asking why questions. And Genesis chapter 1 is a famous case for this. We treat a passage as though it's about how God created the world when we should be primarily focusing on why God created. So when we look at the original intent of this passage, we'll note that it's intending on answering this deeper why question. People want to know what story they're part of. Who's in charge? Why did God create the heavens and the earth? What sort of God is this God? They're they're essentially, they're coming into their seats in the theater and the setting for their lives, and they're asking, what story are we part of? So with that as our foundation, I want you to, to enter into the story, considering how could this, this story that we're reading point towards that why question? And I want you to look at, we're gonna, it's gonna be a bit of a longer scripture reading than normal. We're gonna read the whole of chapter one and just pay attention to the little details. What stands out to you as we read this story that might be familiar in its shape, uh, but it will have some extra things in there perhaps. So Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, seed, or fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts that fill the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground According to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, over the birds, the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. GOD SAID TO THEM, BE FRUITFUL, MULTIPLY, AND FILL THE EARTH AND SUBDUE IT, HAVE DOMINION OVER THE FISH OF THE SEA AND THE BIRDS OF THE HEAVENS AND every, OVER EVERYTHING THAT MOVES ON THE EARTH. AND GOD SAID, BEHOLD, I HAVE GIVEN YOU EVERY PLANT YIELDING SEED THAT IS ON THE FACE OF THE EARTH AND EVERY TREE WITH SEED IN ITS FRUIT YOU SHALL HAVE FOR FOOD. And every beast of the air, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Admittedly, we didn't quite finish the story. There's three more verses that go into uh, the next chapter. Um, The chapter headings were added later on, and this is one of the primary ones, but we're going to pick up that story uh, in the next week. So we'll leave it at these first six days. Uh, And now that we have so much of that creation story in our heads kind of freshly retold, I want to tell it again, Focusing on the why question, I'm going to tell a version uh, that's written by someone named Robert Farrar Capon. He's a theologian, and he tells, he wrote wrote a book with like some silly-ish stories, uh, stories that were a little unconventional uh, to try teach things about who God is and what God's kingdom is like. He has this one story here, and it's titled, Let Me Tell You Why God Created the World goes like this. One afternoon, before anything was made, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit sat around in the unity of their Godhead discussing one of the Father's fixations. From all eternity, for a very, very long time, it seems he had this thing about being, about existing. He would keep on thinking of all kinds of unnecessary things, new ways of being and being alive, new kinds of creatures and living things like moss and turtles and cats and mice and you and me. And as they talked, God the Son suddenly said, really, this is absolutely great stuff. Why don't I go out and mix up a batch? And God the Holy Spirit said, terrific, I'll help you. So they all pitched in. And after supper that night, the Son and the Holy Spirit put on this tremendous show of life for the Father. It was full of water and light and frogs, and pine cones kept on dropping all over the place, and crazy fish swam around in wine glasses. There were mushrooms and manatees, grapes and geese, tornadoes and tigers, and men and women everywhere to taste them, to juggle them, to join them, and to love them. And God the Father looked at this whole wild party, and he said, Wonderful, just what I had in mind. Good, good, good. And all the Son, or God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit could think of was the same thing. Good, good, good. So they shouted together, Good. And they laughed for ages and ages, saying things like, How great it was for things to be. And how clever it was of the father to think of the idea. How kind it was of the son to go through all that trouble of putting it together. And how considerate of the spirit to spend time directing and choreographing. And forever and ever they told old jokes and laughed and danced with this creation that they loved. Isn't it uh, interesting how he describes the Trinity here, as joyful and as playful. Uh, If it strikes you as a bit irreverent, I invite you to consider why. Perhaps the language feels a little too casual. Um, I don't know if this is dating me a little bit. Uh, Like we we used to, when I was in high school, they had like Jesus is my homeboy kind of t-shirts that just didn't treat Jesus with that, that reverence, God as king, uh, and, and Robert Farrar this theologian who wrote this, acknowledges this. He, he says, I admit, it, it is a crass analogy, but crass analogies can sometimes be the safest. Everybody knows that God is not three old men throwing olives at each other. Not everyone, I'm afraid, is equally clear that God is not just some cosmic force that they've kind of made up in their minds. This story is meant to push us towards orthodoxy. It's it's meant to push us away from the sense that when we read the creation story, we're reading about a, a God who kind of coldly and distantly creates this world and just kind of sets everything in place and then leaves it alone. This is about a God who out of his love and out of his communion and joy creates a world that he continues to sustain And love and enjoy. I think this does a far better job of translating the creation story than reducing Genesis chapter one to a scientific explanation. Thinking of in terms of why God created the heavens and the earth preserves the original intent of the passage. The passage is about the spirit hovering over the waters, it is about the word spoken. In the acts of creation, it is about the Father bringing all things into being. To, to have an image for this here, they have this arrow, this pointing down arrow. Uh, and the idea behind this image is that God, in his unity, the three in one God creates. And he creates this world, this creation, everything in it. And in that unity, it is good. Oh, let's see. It's good. And the focus within this creation is it, goes, it starts from a void, a formless void, and then we end with this filling of that, this well-formed, filled space. The picture of the formless void is essentially a wasteland. That's, that's my attempt of at a desert. It had to be formless. I didn't know what to do other than just make it yellow. Um, But this is exile, and this is emptiness. This is lifeless. And the command as we go through is to have it multiply and to have it filled with seed-bearing plants, with fish and animals and humanity, the the whole diversity of creation. I didn't have them juggling or anything. My giraffe is a little sad. Uh, But we even have those creeping things in there. As as Capon puts it, there there were mushrooms and manatees, grapes and geese, tornadoes and tigers, men and women everywhere to juggle them, to join them, and to love them. This, I think, is a fairly careful translation of the passage here. Uh, In translating uh, Genesis 1, verse 23, and in verse 28, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth that the filling of the earth in itself is to God's glory. It means that when humanity is given dominion, they are to enjoy the things of creation. They are to delight in it. They are to find it amazing, to wonder at it, to study it, to fill all of creation, to bring it into its flourishing. As God created, creation at the end is seen to be good. Uh, that simply in that existence it is good. Uh, In theological terms, when when we talk about this, we we could say that God does not create out of necessity. And and what theologians mean when they say that is that God didn't need to create. It wasn't because he was needy, it wasn't because he was lonely, uh, but it was out of God's desire to share this love that he has. this is something that we believe about God. God loves us in our very existence. Uh, We we don't need to do anything to warrant this love. Uh, We we don't do things to try and merit it. It's not about us being productive so that we can be loved. But God loves us as his creation. And this love extends to us wherever we are, whether this is in our times of slowing down whether this is in time of our times of solitude, our times of being productive or our times of being less productive. In the midst of wherever you are, this reminder is here that just in your existence, God loves you. God longs for this filling of creation for more and more things to be and to enjoy His goodness. this understanding here often gets hijacked by uh, another conversation one that's largely about religion versus science it's a conversation that's very important uh, but stepping away from what the passage is about stepping away from the understanding of why god was creating everything It assumes that this is a passage that's required, or required to answer the questions that we have of how God created, rather than the original purpose in understanding why. Uh, to help us understand this, I, I found a sentence to be really helpful, um, and it's this. Uh, the Bible is written for us, but not to us. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. Uh, So so what I mean by that, uh, let's say um, I lived in Guinea-Bissau in Western Africa for a while. And when I got there, if I purchased something that had instructions that came with it, that I had to help put it together, I could say that those instructions were written for me. Uh, They were for whoever owned that product but it wasn't written to me. It was written to people in that country that spoke a different language. So in order for me to understand it properly, I had to have it translated uh, so that I could use it for how it was intended. And a similar thing happens here in our understanding of Scripture, that, that Scripture is written for us. We are people of this story, as the Jesus Storybook Bible helped to illustrate for us this morning. But it is not written to you. It was was written to a people a very long time ago. It was written in Hebrew, in in a different language, and in a culture, a very far away place, but also thousands of years ago. And, And these ideas also need translating. It's not just translating the language, but we need to translate across the cultures as well. Uh, One place that we can see this in Genesis chapter 1 is just looking at some of the things that we miss. Uh, uh, For instance, Genesis chapter 1 through 2 verse 3 is one big poem. Uh, If if you look in your Bibles, uh, hopefully your translation reflects this, you'll see indentations along the first chapter up to 2 verse 3. This gives us a little bit of a hint. When, When you get to chapters Two verse four: when you look at other historical accounts, uh, the, the paragraph indentation's more normal. When you, when you look at Genesis chapter one, it's a lot more like the Psalms. Uh, this, this gives us a hint, and it gives us a, a clue into what type of story this is, that this is a song. This isn't a, a careful historical account of how something happened, but a poem that tells us why God created. Other things that we can do is look at the the surrounding places, the surrounding cultures, and see if they can help us and understand uh, what sorts of questions they were asking, what sorts of stories that they told. So we can look at the Canaanites or the Hittites or the Babylonians or the Egyptians, and we can see what stories did they tell. Uh, Recall this little image that we had from before, that, that arrow that was pointing down. Uh, This is to signify God's intent in creation, that it's it's unified, that, that God created for the purpose of things filling the earth. Well, if you look at other places around the same time, they had all sorts of gods. All sorts of these gods, they were involved in fighting, and their creation accounts were that in the midst of their fighting, things broke off and came out. And from there, we have a world that's the byproduct of violence. This is a dramatic contrast to what Israel has to say about their God creating in unity a beautiful creation that is meant to be filled. Also, you find in this story, um, humanity is... Uh, in, in the stories that they would tell. Uh, humanity is often in, in shackles. They are, they are slaves to these gods up there just to do simply their bidding. And if not slaves, then they're meaningless. They're these accidents left to roam the earth, and, and maybe they try to manipulate these gods. Um, in contrast to this, we have our story of a God who creates humanity in his own image and gives them command over this good creation. Um, In essence, uh, Israel's story doesn't just reject the, the stories that the other nations were telling, but told them in a way that completely contrasted why everything exists. It doesn't exist out of an accident, but God was ordering things and and seeing them as good. In a society that was asking, what kind of God do we have? We're given the setting, a God who is in full control, taking emptiness and creating a world that is bursting with life. In a society asking, why are we here? We have a story about a God creating out of his will and enjoyment, creating to... Enjoy and to fill his creation, to bring peace and blessing back towards God. This love for creation is what drives the rest of the story. God doesn't stop loving his creation when it begins to rebel against him. Instead, this propels God's love in different ways. This is the introduction and the setting And it's essential in understanding the rest of the story. So let me draw something else uh, to help you illustrate this, or to help to illustrate this. Uh, Recently, I've been a part of a uh, discipleship training school called Surge. And one of the most helpful images that they gave us was this uh, series of six different um, shapes. And the first one is one that we've already seen. Uh, It starts off with this downward arrow. This is to help us remember God creates out of his freedom and his love. And then, in our big story, we have rebellion, where humanity rebels against God. And this is followed then by a sideways arrow. This is an arrow that represents promise. God promises the redemption through his people, And at the center, in the response, we have the cross. The cross is this redemption, Jesus fulfilling the promise. In Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the answer to that rebellion. And from there, we have the church, which is sent to bring God's rule into the world, to fill creation with God's glory and joy once again through the Spirit's equipping. And the big thing that I want to point out is where this finishes. Um, often, I think, uh, when people would tell the story, they would want to have an upward arrow at the end. Uh, but if we look at Scripture's full story, we find that it ends with this downward arrow, with restoration. The Christian vision of salvation is not about going up. It is about heaven and earth meeting. It is about renewal, And what is being renewed? It's creation. It's the joy of that first story, where all is good. It is not simply a retreat back to the creation narrative, but it's about reclaiming the goodness and doing it in new ways. We do this as spirit-filled people, knowing that God is working in us, that this is the same God who took all that emptiness and that void and created life who brought all things into being. That God is the one that is working new creation in us and empowering us to do so in this world. So to take it back to the analogy that we started with, we're sitting in the movie theater and we ask, what's happening? What has happened? And the response is that the story that we are a part of Is one where God is in control, who creates a good creation out of love, and invites us into friendship with Him and towards the renewal of all things. There are many other things that we can take from this, but I want to leave you with just three things here. First, the reminder that God is in control. This is not some sort of chaotic mess that results in the gods being at war. God created from this emptiness, and he brought life, and he can do that again. Often, we try to take control rather than giving it into God's hands. In in, in which ways can you be offering that control back to God? Second, I want you to imagine the delight of God simply loving you in your existence. God didn't need to create. It wasn't because he was lonely or incomplete. Creation is an act in order that God can share his love freely with others. Do you believe that God loves you in your very existence? This is not a love for the things that you have done, the things that you have merited, but that you are simply part of his wonderful creation, that you are loved. And third, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God has begun a new creation in us, that we are a people who enter into renewed creation, reclaiming the joy for which it is intended shining light into the shadow places, fixing things that are broken, or simply enjoying and delighting in what is good and what is beautiful? What ways can you be going out and enjoying God's creation, taking delight in it as we should? As followers of Jesus, what ways can we share in God's delight of creation? How can you express that joy? back towards him as praise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our world belongs to you. You created all things out of your joy and for love. And may we find joy and love in these places where we are, where there is darkness and sadness hatred, where your goodness in creation is hard to see. Help us to be people who acknowledge that this is not the way that it's supposed to be, and to seek healing through your work in us. In places where scripture is confusing, uh, may we be stewards of your word, attentive in reading it in a way that honors you and who you are, Uh, Thank you for the thoughtful minds that have searched every bit of your word seeking clarity and truth uh, for the gift of your spirit. And may the study of your word bring us into greater clarity and appreciation for who you are and the depth and beauty of your creation. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.